Qantas set for East Coast to London and New York flights within two years. The downturn in the building industry worsens and Australia's one-time biggest crypto exchange closes its doors. It's Wednesday, the 31st of May, 2023. Welcome to Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Michael Thompson and hello, Sean Aylmer. Oh, I'm very excited today, Michael. It's a great show. So much corporate news. In fact, the last couple of days, we haven't had a lot of corporate news. Mm. Today, chock full of it. Well, I've got to say, any day that starts with an airline story as our lead is going to be a good day. I agree. Totally agree. (laughs) I'm very excited. I need to mention, though, before we get into that, uh, you've got an interview coming up uh, today with Tim Fung, who is a co-founder and CEO of Airtasker. Yes, so we talk all about what people are doing to make extra money. We know that the cost of living crisis is real and people are paying more for petrol and energy and things like that. And so Airtasker has found that across the globe, not just in Australia, people are looking for extra work. And we talk about what they're looking for, what they can do, what it means for consumers, trends like that. Really fascinating chat about the real economy. Yeah, it is a good one. It's coming up later on, Sean. But first, the main story today, Qantas is on track to fly Sydney to London nonstop. That is a 19-hour journey in 2025. And it seems the ultra-long-haul flights are expected to be very lucrative for the airline. In fact, the national carrier reckons in the first full year that it's flying nonstop east coast to London and New York, earnings will jump by about $400 million. Now, that's not much more than what all international routes contribute to the bottom line right now. Qantas says it hopes to have 12 new Airbus A350 jets flying the routes by 2030. Chief Executive Alan Joyce, at his very last investor presentation day yesterday, said the new aircraft have started arriving and will transform the carrier's network. Analysts forecast Qantas's fleet renewal project will cost up to $15 billion over the next five years and involve nearly 300 new aircraft over the next decade. They are next-generation aircraft, Airbus 220s, Boeing 787s and Airbus 320s. Qantas is promising they'll be more comfortable, less noisy and with fewer carbon emissions. Also at the Investor Day, the group forecast Qantas loyalty to deliver up to $1 billion of earnings by 2030, powered by targeted expansion in financial services and insurance. Hmm, interesting. It was enough to push Qantas' share price up 2.6% yesterday. Sean, there's a lot in all of that, and and I think that element of expansion in financial services and insurance sounds fascinating and seems kind of drifting further and further away from the core business of flying planes. And it all kind of sounds good from an investor viewpoint. What about the customers? Uh, what about you? Is what you're yeah. asking? I, I was trying to kind of uh, dress it up a little bit to make it sound like I was asking on behalf of all customers. But yes, if we just kind of boil it all down to one person, what about me, Sean? Yes. Well, yesterday was really about the group's long-term strategy, though they did have some announcements about short-term changes as well. There'll be changes to the boarding process from November this year. You know, when you're overseas, mostly they have segments. So you might be A, B, C, D, E segment, and you've got a board in your segment. So that's what Qantas wants to start doing rather than just a massive long line that snakes uh, into the next arrivals area. They also want to change the Qantas app. In fact, they're overhauling it at the moment. You'll actually be able to track your luggage to make sure it's on the plane with you. 
Now, oh. <laughs> I, I don't know what you do when you're 40,000 feet in the air and you realize your luggage isn't with you. Well, wouldn't that just be the worst to be tracking your luggage and just go, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. No. You can just, but you can just track it and just watch yourself getting further and further away. Or if you're particularly unlucky, actually watch it going in the opposite direction. <laughs> yes. Qantas also plans to expand the current range of redemption options for frequent flyers. And the national carrier is promising, and I quote, continued focus on the continued investment in low fares. Oh, low so, fares. So, so when's that when's that due to start? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, not quite Don't sure. Know. Anyway, plenty going on at Qantas. Yeah, big big day for Qantas. Uh, local markets, how do they perform yesterday? The S&P ASX 200 closed down just a touch to 7209 points. All the major banks were lower. ANZ was the worst of the top 200. It was off 1.4%. Telstra, Woolies, Wes Farmers, BHP and CSL all ended higher. Among the large caps, there really wasn't many big movers at all. The worst performer was Paladin. It tumbled 20%. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. And I'll just quickly jump into international markets here, Michael. Oil's off a bit, so too gold. Coal prices continue their slide and are at their lowest level since January 2022. And the Aussie dollar is trading just above 65 US cents. All right. We have some big stories to get through this morning, Sean. We'll be back in a moment with the rest of the day's business news. Sean, the building sector is in a slump with approvals for new dwellings down 24% compared to a year ago. Bad news for construction companies, for builders, for tradies, but it's also bad news for the economy because construction has this big multiplier effect to the rest of the economy. If someone builds a house, they need to fill it with stuff, furniture, TVs, fridges, not so nice paintings in some cases. There's a fair amount of judgment in that one, Sean. There's definitely a story attached to that. Yes, we might leave it. Anyway, this economic multiplier effect is very, very large in construction. In fact, I think construction actually has the biggest multiplier effect. So when things are slow in construction, it's bad for the economy. Last month, building approvals fell 8% according to the Bureau of Statistics. Hardest hit have been apartment buildings. Now, given the influx of international students expected in coming years, That's really bad news for renters because that will push up the price when more people wanting apartments likely push up the price. Mostly it's been, I mean, the dearth of new building approvals is all about interest rates rising, cost blowing out and being very hard to find labour. Michael, I suspect chronic underbuilding is emerging as a real problem for the economy. Did Jackie buy a painting that you don't like? It's excellent. It's beautiful. Hmm. Mm. It feels like we could unpack that. And you know what we could even do? Jackie listens to this show. Let's just move on. Let's move on. Okay, pretend Mm. we didn't say anything. Hi, Jackie. Uh, Sean, let's move on. This is a big story. Gaming giant Crown has agreed to a $450 million penalty over anti-money laundering and counter-terrorism breaches at its Melbourne and Perth operations. The agreement with the financial crimes regulator Austrac comes following breaches of gambling laws at the Melbourne Casino over more than a decade. As part of the settlement, Crown has admitted its casinos failed to appropriately assess the money laundering and terrorism financing risks they faced and to identify and respond to changes in risk over time. They didn't have appropriate controls in place. They didn't have an appropriate transaction monitoring program in place bit of a debacle, really. Crown has previously been fined $230 million by Victorian gambling regulators. It also faces other investigations. Of course, it's now owned by Blackstone, who bought it off James Packer and other shareholders in June last year for $8.9 billion. 
Sean, the boss of West Farmers, Rob Scott, believes the glory days of government largesse, low interest rates and good times for companies, including retailers, is well and truly over. And we're moving into what he calls, somewhat ominously, the big squeeze. Mm. So West Farmers is Australia's 10th largest company. And apart from Bunnings, Officeworks, Kmart and Catch.com, the online retailer, it runs a big chemicals business. It's looking at health and it's looking at lithium. This business has its finger in many pies, so to speak. So Rob Scott is speaking from a place of knowledge. At yesterday's Investor Day, Scott said the honeymoon is over for many companies and retailers. Shoppers are trading down to cheaper products, which probably helps West Farmers, given Kmart and Bunnings, etc. And he says value will become even more important to customers. Businesses also face an escalation in wage pressures and a post-COVID drop in productivity, hence the big squeeze. Of course, Bunnings is the powerhouse of West Farmers retailers. It's thinking about pushing more into pets and pet care and more into the power tools business. That's right up your alley, isn't it, Michael? The power tools business. We both know, Sean, that it's not. No. Right. Let's move on. Now, onto something that is up your alley. Yeah. Botox. So yesterday, Scott said West Farmers won't make a higher bid for Silk Laser, which is primarily a Botox group. A higher bid came in for that group. West Farmers made a bid for it. Higher bid came in from a Hong Kong-based suitor last week, and Wes said, go for it. I don't think either of us came out of that story looking particularly good, did we, Sean? Mm, well, I look better because of the Botox. Of course, nice and tight. Mm. Now, Federal Treasury is overhauling its oversight of consultants following the PwC tax scandal, including, Sean, strengthening deeds of confidentiality. Seems kind of pretty important after this. Yes, no surprises there. Senate estimates are going on at the moment. Plenty of stuff comes out of these meetings. Treasury official Roseanne Kelly said the bureaucracy had more accountability at the advisory level and with industry bodies now. Yesterday, Treasury was criticised in estimates for knowing about the leaks by PwC for five years before talking about them publicly. The leaks gave the consulting firm an unfair advantage winning business, also enabled multinationals to pay less tax. On the very same topic, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher said while the government has taken steps in response to the scandal, cancelling existing procurement contracts is not a viable option. It came after Greens leader Adam Bant called for an immediate review into PwC's current contracts with the federal government. Away from the PwC saga, Treasury said it's not far off providing recommendations to Jim Chalmers, the Treasurer, of course, on how to modernise the Productivity Commission. Don't you reckon there's irony in that? How to modernise the Productivity Commission? (laughs) One would think that the Productivity Commission should already be super modern and super productive and needs no improvement. Hmm. Anyway, not the case, apparently. Uh, Also, Treasury Secretary Stephen Kennedy said that nearly half the influx of temporary migrants over the next four years, which will be in the hundreds of thousands of people, half of them will be international students. Uh, Sean, you mentioned this one earlier in the show. Uranium miner Paladin Energy's share price tumbled 20% yesterday before it requested a trading halt. It came after the Namibian government threatened to nationalise some natural resources. Paladin owns 75% of the Langer Heindrich mine in Namibia, which has been shut since August 2018, but it's in the midst of a big spend to get it going again. Namibia is a very large uranium producer, and on Monday night, the Mines and Energy Minister advocated for greater government control. He suggested the state should own a minimum equity percentage in all mining companies and petroleum production, and it shouldn't have to pay for that. 
Mm. The other local operator in Namibia, at least the ASX-listed operator, is Deep Yellow. Its share price fell 5%. Now, I must say, I don't know much about Namibia. So I went and looked it up yesterday. Mm. A good trivia question for you, Michael. I know you're trivia king. Mm. Namibia has five bordering nations as well as an ocean. Name two of those nations. Uh, Botswana. Definitely. Yeah, well done. Well done. Because I always wanted to live in Botswana of all places. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on um, uh, and South Africa is obviously another one of the ones that borders it. But I spent a lot of time on South African and Botswana re- uh, real estate uh, websites trying to find a place to um, to live. Really? Why? Oh, it's fast. I read a lot of Wilbur Smith books, Sean, uh, <laughs> and I think I, I was see. sucked into the uh, to the romance of it. Okay, now, so you've just answered it without a second thought, Botswana and South Africa. Can, can you give me a third one? Uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, fourth, please. Come on. Mm, Zambia? Ooh. Ah, oh, let's go for five. The Quintella? No, Quin something is four, isn't it? Let's go for five out of five. So we've got Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, South Africa, and? Oh, no, I'm out. I'm, I'm gone. I'm sorry, Sean. I can only do four. Angola. Uh, okay. All right. Well done. You know what? I reckon 80, 80%. Did you hear how uncertain I was as I said that? <laughs> 80, you did 80%. much better on geography than maths. Yeah, that's right. 80%. I reckon that's pretty good. That's a pass mark. Yeah, definitely. Well done. Um, let's move on, Sean. Australian customers of Binance are so desperate to quit the Dubai-based crypto exchange that they are willing to accept $6,000 per unit less to liquidate their Bitcoin. So Binance will stop facilitating all Australian dollar withdrawals today after its banking partner, Cuscal, wound down its partnership citing fraud concerns, according to the Financial Review. Westpac has banned customers from transferring to Binance as well. So yesterday, basically, Binance was selling one Bitcoin for about 36000 Aussie dollars. The other local players were charging 42000 Aussie dollars. Problem is, you end up holding it with Binance. Now, Binance has told its 1 million Australian customers that any Australian dollars left on its books by Wednesday, today, will be converted into USDT, a type of cryptocurrency pegged to the US dollar. Of course, Binance has its own US dollar-backed stablecoin, which is called BUSD, as in Binance USD. But the issue of that one has also stopped working with Binance, did that back in February. So it can't issue that as well. Bit of a mess, really, Michael. Bit of a mess. God, you can say that again. I was, I was kind of following you along there, but that actually just sounds really, really ugly. You do not want to hold cryptocurrencies in Binance on the Binance Exchange. No, it doesn't sound like it. Uh, now, Sean, one last one before we get to international news. Toll Roads Group Atlas Arteria held its annual general meeting yesterday, and shareholders voted against the group's remuneration report. Proxy votes show a 35% vote against the report, triggering a so-called first strike. A second one next year means the board of the group is spilled. Chair Debbie Gooden said the company will listen to the protest vote. Some shareholders haven't been happy about Atlas's recent purchase of a two-thirds stake in Chicago's Skyway motorway in the US. Main reason we're doing this story, Michael, is, of course, you love the name Skyway for a motorway. Oh, because it just makes it sound so exotic. It makes it yeah. sound like you're driving through the clouds. And then we looked at the photos and it was just another tollway. It should be called the Chicago Groundway. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the other part of the story, which I love, was that they came out yesterday and said it's French toll roads are doing well. A couple of reasons. 
really good ski season. People are, you know, driving up to the ski fields in France, so good on them. Also, we've had all the strikes in, in that country about the pensions, so there's been fewer trains running, and so therefore more people are using toll roads. I think that's quite funny. Yeah, I think that is quite interesting. I do have a question, though, about this, and it's, it's actually a serious question. I know that will come as some surprise. Uh, but a when there is a vote against a remuneration report, is that against uh, the remuneration uh, relating to the executive of the of the company or the uh, director's fees, et cetera? It's, it's more towards the management, isn't it? Uh, it can be both, actually. Okay. So it's essentially the, the most effective way uh, for shareholders to send a message to the company that they are not happy. Yeah, and if you do it twice, the board has to spill. And when the board spills, they can get voted back in. But it's uh, not that many have, a couple have been spilled, but generally that hasn't happened. So essentially it serves as that kind of, that first warning to... Yeah, it certainly sends a message. The, the irony, of course, is that 35% voted against it. So the people will still get, still get the remuneration. Yeah. Uh, but next year they will be much more careful about how they do it. Okay. All right. International news now, Sean. And today is a cracker of a day because we started the show with a story about an airline, Qantas, and now we're talking about space and in particular the space race, which is back on with China yesterday sending three astronauts into space, including their first civilian. And that came a day after China announced plans to land astronauts on the moon before 2030. Of course, NASA is aiming to send American astronauts back to the moon by 2025 Administrator Bill Nelson, this is the NASA Administrator Bill Nelson, has described a Cold War-like space race, only this time it's US v China, not US v the Soviet Union. Yesterday's launch will send the crew to the Chinese space station. They're the first crew to visit since it became fully operational late last year. It's expected 15 years in orbit means the station could become the sole permanent research facility after the International Space Station is decommissioned in 2030, Michael. Now, finally, Sean, we've had a bit of a focus on unusual stories to end the show in recent days. We had the Indian food inspector who drained a dam to look for his phone. Then we had the nun from Missouri who was exhumed four years after a burial and was completely intact. What have you got for us today? Look, I was going to do the one about the Russian spy whale. (laughs) Sorry, what? Uh, Well, it's a harness-wearing beluga whale. It turned up in Norway four years ago sparked speculation that it was actually a spy whale trained by the Russian Navy because it actually it had something attached to it that suggested it was Russian. Anyway, it was tagged and it's reappeared off Sweden's coast. So I was going to tell you about that one. Oh, that would that would have been fantastic. But it would have been. But it I think we should be a little bit more business focused. So today's offering is more business focused. And it's actually the chief executive of Philip Morris International saying the company, which of course makes Marlboro cigarettes, among others, is on its way to becoming an ESG stock. Now, an ESG stock, environmental, social and governance, investors put money into ESG stocks because they're things that improve the world, you know, energy transformation, for example. They shy away, fervently, from things that harm the world. Companies that make bombs, for example, cigarettes, for example, Last year, Philip Morris sold 621 billion cigarettes worldwide. Cigarettes, of course, are the leading cause of preventable death globally. But Philip Morris's boss, Jakob Olsak, points to the fact that because the company now makes less harmful nicotine alternatives, 
like vapes, (laughs) maybe they're heading down the ESG track. When asked by the Financial Times if one day the company might be classified as an ESG stock because of its push away from cigarettes, the boss said, I think so. Mm. Even he didn't sound very convinced, Michael. No, it feels like he might be clutching at straws there a little bit. It's just, I don't see any way that a company like Philip Morris could ever be considered an ESG stock. But hey, yeah. points for trying. Points for trying. Unusual story and a business one. Hey, I'll go, re- I'll look, tomorrow I'll go back to the silly stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I love the beluga whale, the spy whale. The great thing about that, so they're not sure what's going on with this whale. They have tracked it for the last four years, and they don't really think it's a Russian spy anymore. They think it might, they think it might be on, um, on heat and looking for a mate because it's been swimming up in that area. And from what they can tell, they don't think it's met a mate in about two years. It's pretty lonely swimming around without meeting a mate for two years. You know what, there's a lot of places we can go with this story, Sean, and I don't think it's safe for us to do any no, of them. Let's not. Let's Good. just move on. The Daily Interview, Fear and Grow Daily Interview with Tim Fung, co-founder and CEO of Airtasker, up next. All about people trying to make extra money by using or by offering themselves on Airtasker and, and the sorts of jobs that people want to use Airtasker for. It's coming up next in the Fear and Greed playlist on your podcast platform or at fearandgreed.com.au. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Michael. It's Wednesday, the 31st of May, 2023. Make sure you're following the podcast. Join us online on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and stay up to date on all the business news with Alexa and your Amazon Echo smart speaker. Simply say, Alexa, play the Fear and Greed podcast to catch the latest episode. You can grab yours now at amazon.com.au. I'm Michael Thompson, and that was Fear and Greed. Have a great day.